Okay. My Bible app open here. I got my Bible here. And any missing blanks before we get started? My wife missed one, but it might have been because she was asleep. No? Oh. Just joking. She's in the cry room. Okay. I'm just teasing you, baby. Just teasing you. Oh, she, she's got your back. She said, I'm more likely to miss the blank than you are. That's probably fair. I think that's, that's probably fair. I'll own that. I will own that. Yeah. Okay. I resemble that statement. Yeah. Okay. Um, any other blank? Oh, Don. So for the next last blank, I think it is, I think it's the degree of power. Paradox. Is it, is it paradox, paradox or immeasurable? Paradox. Paradox. And, and not, not, you... not that there's any paradox. It's that he uses a word paradox to communicate the greatness. In the same way that in chapter 3 he'll say that you would know the unknowable riches. Like saying that is paradoxical, right? How do you know something that's unknowable? Yeah. So I'm not suggesting it's paradoxical power. It's so great he has to employ a figure of speech that is paradoxical to communicate the greatness of the power. That make, that makes sense? Well, right. I just okay. I just like immeasurable too. So oh, immeasurable. You go with immeasurable. That's fine. It's your, Maybe it's your sheet. Imme- immeasurable it's your paradox. Sheet. What this blank means to me is immeasurable. So, um, yeah. Unimaginable? Okay. That's fine. I I wanted to link it with the other paradox statement in three, though. That's why I put paradox there. Um, Okay. Someone else. Oh, Jonah in the front. Man needs a microphone. What? 2A1? Trinitarian. Trinitarian formula. I just thought it was interesting that after he employed and brought to the forefront each member of the Trinity in his first big sentence, his opening of his prayer is likewise Trinitarian. Um, he, he's mentioning and referencing every member of the Godhead there as well. Um, which I think also gives some continuity and some measure of the importance, the significance, the weightiness of what he's praying. He's not praying some small thing. I hope you have good weather for your travel. He's praying... Something profound. Okay, we got someone in the back here. Oh, uh, just for confirmation, can you tell me the t- degrees of powers again? Paradox. Or Parad- what was the other, what was the other alternative? Immeasurable. Wait, that's that's B, but I mean the one degree and the two degree so, uh, underneath that. Object of power, believing ones, believing ones. So degree of power, paradox, object of power, believing ones. Okay. Thank you. Okay. Do you got someone there, Matt? Donna? You going? No, yes, maybe. And then we got Renee here. I know she's got something. Uh, yeah, let's do it. Let's do it. Okay, yeah, we're done with blanks. Question time. Let the floodgates open. Are you ready for it? He's been I don't know if I'm ready for you, Donna, but we'll give it a shot. <laughs> this started as a prayer request, turned into a question. Oh, hey. It's not a question. It's just that I just want to say um, how much I enjoyed this sermon and how neat it is because as I was coming this morning, I was praying to know God more. And then this is a sermon. I think that's so cool. And then um, I love the way you said uh, 
to pray for each other, um, not just because there's something wrong, because um, when we, um, let's see, I'm losing it. Hang on a second. Um, like you, you use the word complacent, um, knowing God more, um, no matter what, no matter where you're at. Anyway, I just love the way that you, that sermon went. It was like, thank you. It was like easy to understand. <laughs> Sometimes I don't understand some of them, but anyway, I that's all. <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm just. I'm not as smart as some of you guys. <laughs> this one was more my level. <laughs> I've said enough. I'm going to quit. Right. Uh, now Renee's ready to go. Okay. I, I'm, if I'm remembering correctly, when we did the Gloria Furman study on Ephesians, she um, is one who falls into the understanding that what are the riches of his glorious inheritance of the saints is that he gets us. Yes. Which is a common, I don't know how common that is, but can you just speak to, to that? Because sure. I think it's the wording of it that makes yes. it confusing. No, 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 no. Yes, yes. You're, you're referencing, actually, the text from a week or so ago, but since we had, didn't have an ABF last week, it's totally fair game. Um, totally fair game. When it talks about, um, in verse, going back a little bit to verse... Oh, the part, but the, the part that goes where you're going is in the previous thing. No, 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 no. I'm not, I'm not saying you're out of bounds. You're totally in bounds. You're fine. The sports metaphor nailed it. Okay. Um, okay. Okay. <laughs> so if you go to verse, um, yeah, 11, right? Because it's, okay, let's not get too much into grammar here. Um, okay. The verb for um, received an inheritance, this one word in Greek, is passive. And you could translate it, in him you have been inheritanced as though we are the content of the inheritance given to somebody. So, no, no, so that's the link. You could, now it can't mean both. Both are true. It can't mean both. It's either we receive an inheritance or we're given as an inheritance. Grammatically, you could translate it both ways. And both are true. It does not simultaneously mean both in Ephesians. I think it means we've received an inheritance because of where it goes. But now Renee's asked, can you talk about the other option, which is equally biblical? And yes, I can. Give me one second. Um, let's go to uh, Exodus 19. We are the Lord's inheritance. That is the amazing reality. This sort of follows the same pattern of Song of Songs. I am my beloved and my beloved's I am my beloved, and my beloved is mine. We receive him as an inheritance. He receives us as an inheritance. Um, So go to Exodus 19, uh, which I think uses that. If not, I'm going to have to look it up. I think Exodus 19 does. Um, And what's what's important about Exodus 19 is when, when do the Ten Commandments get given? Exodus 20. So before the giving of the law, before the giving of the Ten Commandments, you get this wonderful statement in Exodus 19. Um, verse 4. You yourselves have seen what I did to the Egyptians, how I bore you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. Now therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, you shall be my treasured possession among all peoples, for all the earth is mine. You shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. 
and it doesn't say inheritance. Okay, it's a similar idea. Let me find the inheritance. Um, hold on. This will take me a moment. It's a great question, Renee. It's just going to take me one second to find it. Um, Deuteronomy 4, I'm guessing, but let me see. My inheritance search. Um, Exodus, Numbers, Deuteronomy 4. Yeah, Deuteronomy 4.20. There it is. Okay. So, Deuteronomy 4.20. So, the Exodus 19 doesn't use that specific language. I think it's the same concept for my own possession, which is, I think, getting at that intimate, you're mine. You know, like a, you might say to your, your, your kid or your husband, you're mine. You know, like, like it's something you delight in, not like a piece of property. Um, but in uh, Deuteronomy, okay, let me get there. Here we go. Deuteronomy 4. Moses is, is saying goodbye to the people of Israel. He's a series of farewell addresses. And so in 4 um, 20, we get, um, But the Lord has taken you and brought you out of the iron furnace, out of Egypt, to be a people of his own inheritance, as you are to this day. And then from there, we get um, further linking, because now I can touch for his own inheritance. Um, what translation am I in? ESV? People's um, own inheritance. There, okay, boom. There it goes. Um, it, then go to Deuteronomy 9, 29. For they are your people, your heritage, same word, same concept, whom you brought out by your great power and your outstretched arm. And then in chapter 32, the end of Deuteronomy. Um, Deuteronomy 32, verse 9 and 10. Now go, go back to 8, actually. When the Most High gave to the nations their inheritance, when he divided mankind, he fixed the borders of the people according to the number of the sons of God. But the Lord's portion, the Lord's inheritance, is his people, Jacob, his allotted heritage. He found him in a desert land, and in the howling waste of the wilderness he encircled him. He cared for him. He kept him as the apple of his eye. That's the origin of that phrase that so permeated English. Um, now go to John 17. In what sense are we his heritage? Inheritance, because um, it's not the sense, we think of inheritance primarily as someone dies and we get something. It's, it's the notion of something coming down, something looked for, you know, especially in a land where the people, a time when the people are tied to the land, your inheritance is when you receive the family estate. It's when you receive the family possessions. And so you're looking for them. They're valued. They're prized. And it's a coming day when you will receive them. I think that's the notion which were the Lord's inheritance. Not that we belong to somebody else and that somebody else died. But rather, we're this thing that are valued and treasured and are looked for and eventually received. That's, I think, the notion in which we serve as the Lord's inheritance. And I think we see that here in John 17. So Jesus, this is his chapter-long prayer to the Father before the cross. 
and we get some insight into how we function in the intra-Trinitarian relationship, intra-internal relationship between the members of the Trinity. And so Jesus begins by praying for himself in verses 1 through 5. He wants to return to the glory he had with the Father. And then starting in verse 6, he starts praying for the disciples. And then starting in verse 20, he starts praying, praying for us and every other Christian. So let's start in verse 6. I have manifested your name to the people whom you gave me out of the world. And what you're going to see is the disciples first and foremost, and then the rest of the church are viewed as a love gift from the Father to the Son. In fact, I think um, in the same way that those of you who've had children give you a, what would by artistic standards be a terrible drawing, but you put it up on your fridge, why? Because you, it's valuable because of the one who gave it to you, right? I think in many respects, maybe not all, but in many respects, that's partly how we're so loved. The father gifts to his son these people on condition that the son would redeem them. And so we're caught up in intra-Trinitarian love. I will, this afternoon, if I remember, one of, the, one of the greatest messages I've ever heard in my life, easily top five, listened to it a dozen times, is D.A. Carson on the love of Christ. And he's all about unpacking some of this stuff in John 17. I'll post it. It was at Desiring God conference. And it's got one of my favorite stories ever about him and a Muslim friend at the, uh, the where at the Capitol building? In Canada. In Canada. And it's, it's worth it just for that story, but it's, it's a fantastic one. I'll, put, I'll post the video on Facebook later today. Um, the Supremacy of the Love of Christ in a Postmodern World, if you want to look it up sooner. But he's basically unpacking John 17 masterfully. It, it is D.A. Carson, the supremacy of Christ, the supremacy of the love of Christ in a postmodern world from a Desiring God conference, I don't know, 15 years ago. Ah, oh, fantastic. Anyway, um, but his point is we get caught up in intra-Trinitarian love. The Father gives a love gift of a redeemed people to his Son on the condition that the Son redeemed them. The Son redeems them as an act of faithfulness and, and fidelity and love to the Father. And we are caught up in all of this and receive all the blessings of this. And in that sense, I think, ties with the notion of an inheritance. Here's these people that the Father gives them, but you can't receive them until you redeem them. And so the Son goes to redeem these people that his Father gave him. Um, For I have given them the words that you gave me, verse 8, and they have received them and have come to know in truth that I am from you. And they have believed that you are from me. I am praying for them. I am not praying for the world, but for those whom you have given me, for they are yours. All mine are yours, and yours are mine, and I am glorified in them. And I am no longer in the world, but they are in the world. And I am coming to you, Holy Father, keep them in your name. Jesus' concern for these people that the Father has given him is that he's been taking, you give your kids something valuable, like take this precious plate or pot or teapot or whatever, and you steward it, take care of it. And Jesus has taken care of it, and he's guarded these people the Father's given him, but now he's going to the cross, and he will not be able to take care of them in that time, so he's asking the Father to guard them. That, there's this transfer of protection as the Son has, says, I have kept them, but I am going to the you, you keep them. That's, that's what's going on in his prayer for them. So uh, verse 9, I'm praying for them, I'm not praying for the world, but for those whom you gave, have given me, for they are yours, all are mine, and all are yours, and yours are mine, and I'm glorified in them, and I'm no longer in the world, but they are in the world, and I'm coming to you, Holy Father, keep them in your name which you have given me, 
They may be one, even as we are one. While I was with them, I kept them. So I've, I've been keeping them, but now you're going to have to take over and keep them. Um, while I was with them, I kept them in your name, which you have given me. I have guarded them, and not one of them has been lost, except the son of destruction, that the scriptures might be fulfilled. But now I'm coming to you, and these things I speak in the world, that they, that they may have my joy fulfilled in themselves. I have given them your word. Their world has hated them because they're not of the world, just as I am not of the world. I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Sanctify them in truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world. And for their sake, I consecrate myself that they also may be sanctified in truth. I do not ask for these only, but also for those who believe in me through their word. Ladies and gentlemen, that is us. Here's Jesus praying for you and for me. That they may be one, just as any goes on. So Jesus is envisioning us as a treasured entrustment, a gift that the Father has given him, that he has guarded and taken care of and protected. And now he's passing us to the Father while he goes to the cross. Ultimately, the Spirit comes and is given to, to serve that function of guarding and shepherding us. I mean, Jesus is shepherding his people. He's the good shepherd. He does it through the agency of the Spirit. I mean, it's, it's, again, it's a Trinitarian outworking. So in that sense, I think, and there's probably more to it. I've only just started scratching the surface on some of this stuff. But in that sense, I, we are this longed-for, apprehended, appreh- apprehended. We, what? No? Okay, my, sorry, Mom. We're longed-for, anticipated. I, mean, I took apprehension and anticipated and tried to make a new word. Okay, I'm going to throw that one out. That was a bad word. And um, we are an anticipated and looked-for, longed-for possession and and part of the process is the redemption of them so the father really is giving the son a glorified and redeemed humanity and the son has to then go and redeem and glorify them kind of like if i give my kid a lego set you know like he's he's got to put it together he's got to make it into the death star or whatever um sorry my kids are like scheming to come up with enough money to buy the lego death star uh they're not getting very far with that but they are that is their dream um in the back alex and that lines up with uh, Titus 2.14. Um, that's a long sentence, too. Uh, just 14 is, who gave himself, well, Savior Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people for his own possession, who are yeah. zealous for good works. Absolutely. And I think the interesting thing about this case of us being his inheritance is a lot of times, like you said, Somebody dies and somebody else gets the inheritance, but in this case, the one who dies is the one who gets the inheritance. Ooh. Nice. Nice twist, Alex. I like that. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> I will repeat that so, for him. Make sure I get that. Normally, person A dies so that person B inherits something, right? The person who dies doesn't get the inheritance. They give the inheritance by virtue of being dead. In this case, the one who dies is the very one who receives the inheritance. Because Jesus dies, he can, re- he can secure for himself a people for his own possession and inheritance. Uh-huh. No. It could, grammatically. I know this because the commentator, like, which way is it going? And because of the consistent flow of thought in this section is our receiving an inheritance, even in verse 14, the Spirit's given, then it seems the logic would be we, the, the, the perspective is on us receiving. It's absolutely true 
So there's no heresy or error in that sense. The simple question is grammatically, what's Paul speaking of? I think Paul's speaking of us receiving inheritance. But you're right, there's this bigger biblical theme of us being God's inheritance as well. And because it's a passive verb, it could be translated, we were inheritanced as though we are the object of inheritance given. And you're absolutely right, that is true. I think the context in chapter 1 suggests the other reading, but you're, you're ending up with good, solid truth either way. Carol. Uh, just another uh, passage of Scripture related to that, First uh, Peter uh, 2, 9 and 10. Okay. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, <laughs> that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness. That's what happened, Carol. That's a citation of Exodus 19, and that's the one that has for his own possession. And so when I went to Exodus 19, I was thinking of 1 Peter. Yeah, there it is. No, I, no, I'm like, I know there's one that says that and says for his own possession, and then when it wasn't mm-hmm. there in Exodus, I was disappointed. Um, <laughs> but now I am appointed. Now, now you're, yes. <laughs> Been reappointed. Thank you for appointing me. I appreciate it. Absolutely, absolutely. And that is the marvelous thing, that, that we get him and he gets us. And he gets us redeemed and cleansed. That's part of the logic is we are not fit to be before him. We're not the son's inheritance till we're redeemed. In a sense. He goes to, to sanctify and purify to get for himself an inheritance. Um, which, which is, it's, again, this is a balancing act because... On the one hand, we are absolutely loved and valued by God. I don't want to diminish that. And you'll hear me. And so the, the, the tension, I think two weeks ago, I was talking about how um, the fact that it's grace is indicative of our unworthiness, our unvalue intrinsically. Um, yet he sets his love on us, and he sets about to make us lovely and valuable. And so there is a very real sense in which he, he cares greatly and we have value for him, but the value is what, of, what he's going to turn us in, what he intends to do to us and how he intends to make us and transform us. I, I, and I'm, it's a tightrope, and I only try to walk that tightrope because there are some who take that and take half of that and twist it into the cross being about our value. I've, I've literally read by people who I won't name, and you'd be shocked if I did, things like, God wouldn't buy trash. The cross indicates how valuable we are. I'm like, no, that's not it. You've missed it. Um, And so that's what I'm guarding is when I say those things. But if you think that means, therefore, we're worthless and God doesn't care about us, what's supposed to be amazing is despite our lack of merit, despite our lack of intrinsic value, he treasures us. And that's supposed to be a marvel of his grace and his mercy, not... I thought I was worth something. That's what I'm trying to guard against with that, and I'm sure I'm doing it clumsily, but that's the dual reality. We are treasured in his inheritance, and we inherently, and, and that's supposed to be amazing because we ought not to be. We don't deserve that. It, it, and until he makes us and redeems us and glorifies us, it would be unfitting for that, in a sense. You know what I mean? This, so that's what I'm trying to get that balance in play. Because Paul's making it clear, you've got to understand his love for you. You've got to understand how much he treasures you, what he's purposed for you. Like, that's all important. In today's um, zeitgeist, in today's culture, I don't feel loved until I told I'm valuable. And so some authors, I think, trying to make people feel how valuable you are. And you've got to be really careful when you say that. There is a sense in which we're the apple of his eye. He values us. 
not because we ought to be valued. <laughs> That's the bit you got to put in. We want to know it's in me. I am. I have potentiality. I'm as valuable. That's not the way the Bible's dealing with it. We're valuable, and we're supposed to marvel that he would value us. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. The whole logic is totally undeserving. We were his enemy, and he died for us. What amazing grace is this? Not God spots a good deal when he sees one, and he saw our potential, and he knew if I just shine them up a bit, man, they're going to be valued. So God's this bargain hunter, and he, he gets some praise for being seeing a good bargain, but we get the value of we were that diamond all along in the rough. You know, That's not what it is. That's, that's the tension I'm trying to tightrope walk. Okay. Uh, first, I'd just like to say I thank God for the sermon you gave today, and I thank God for placing us in this local body of believers. Uh, but on, on kind of build on that, uh, what came out to me, well, there's a lot of stuff in that sermon today, but uh, one big thing, I used to read, uh, I remember reading like Paul's epistles, and what stood out to me is love for the other believers and how he's always so thankful. But I missed the part about thanking God. And to me, that's like, you know, sometimes we get focused on our horizontal between other believers, and sometimes we tend to focus more on the vertical. But here Paul brings them both together mm. where he's thanking his other believers and he's thanking God. So it's just, yeah, I just... I just like that. So. No, it's, it's a really cool apostolic pattern. I don't want to give you some new law, but if you ever, like me, have wrestled with thanking somebody but not wanting to, like, this is a great way to do it. I just want to let you know how thankful, Elsa, I am to God. I'm dead serious for, for giving you to this body and for, for the gift of grace you are. And you say it to somebody in their hearing, like Paul does, and it's just, it's beautiful. Um, and... Uh, yeah, there's only, if, do you want to see the one place I know where Paul actually thanks somebody? There's only one example, I can, if, maybe there's more, but I've only spotted one. It's in Romans 15, maybe it's 16, one of the two. The only one I'm aware of in every other instance is Paul thanking God for someone in their hearing. He's letting them know he thanks God for them. Um, and it's uh, Romans 15, I think it's uh, Phoebe who he thanks. Or is it 16? 16! Uh, where is it? Um, does anyone got a phone? Let's look up thank. Wildcard. Verse 4. Who risked their legs to whom I also give thanks. But yeah, that's exactly it. There it is. That is the only time I'm aware of Paul gives thanks to a person which makes it clear it's not wicked or wrong. I, I also know somebody who, because they saw this pattern, is like, we should not thank each other. And I'm like, you're going too far, Gus. This is a wonderful pattern, and it's clearly the, the majority way Paul does it, and I commend it, but you can't make some rule because here's one exception to it. He thanks them. But the overwhelming majority of the time, he thanks God for them in their hearing. So there it is. Thank you, Zach. Okay, other questions? Carrie oh. Streve. Carrie Streve. Forever on tape. <laughs> okay, so kind of going along with that, I think some people can struggle with being uncomfortable, like going to other people and like thanking them directly or like how do I do that rightly and other people, even if you put like like the glory towards God or like what does Paul say? Like I thank God for you because of blah, 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 blah. 
Some people can be really uncomfortable still doing that. Some people can be really uncomfortable receiving that. So how do we like build that into our culture and kind of get over that to some extent or like move past that so that we're actually doing it? So let me, let me deal with, you gave two examples, giving and receiving. Let's talk about giving first. I'd, um, I'd, I'd think that if, um, if you see it as, if you're a person who struggles with this, I'd start by, do you see the pattern? Do you see the value? Do you see the importance? Do you see how helpful and encouraging that could be? We're going to get, we're going to jump ahead in Ephesians, but let me, let me uh, show you something in Ephesians 4. This is, this is the hokey pokey, folks. This is what it's all about. Um, okay. Okay. Here is the hokey pokey on earth. Why is the church on earth? What's the purpose? It's, it's right here, um, I think. So in Ephesians 4, let me find it here. Um, yeah, Ephesians 4. Okay, so I'll uh, pick it up in verse 9. In saying he ascended, what does it mean but that he also descended into the lower regions of the earth? He descended as the one who ascended far above all the heavens. He might fill all things. And now he's going to start. The flow of the logic could be this. Christ gave the church some gifted people for a purpose. So we'll get that far. He gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and the teachers. And here's an important point of grammar to equip the saints for the work of the ministry. He did not give the church pastors, evangelists, apostles, prophets, shepherds, and teachers to do the work of ministry, but rather to equip the saints for the work of ministry. So I do ministry insofar as I'm a saint, not insofar as I'm a shepherd. Um, I equip the saints for the work of the ministry. Well, what is that work of ministry? Um, to equip the saints for the work of ministry for the building up of the body of Christ. And I think that everything on earth you can view that's of value is one of those two, is in building up the body of Christ, either through evangelism where the body gets bigger at its base, or through discipleship, where the body gets tall. If you want to think of like deep and wide or broad and tall, that's the picture. And that, how does the body then get sanctified? The building up of the body of Christ. Pause, he's going to give us a degree. Until we all attain to the unity of the faith, the knowledge of the Son of God, to a mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. And there's a lot going on there, which I'm sure when I get there in a few months, can we all agree that that has not happened yet? So any notion of like, well, I think sometime in the 7th century, we got mature enough. Nope. Basically, how mature? Till we look like Jesus. Okay? Then negatively, he's going to look at it, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by, every, and by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by crafting and sleepless schemes. And then here is how the body builds itself up in love. So tracking it back, Christ gave apostles, prophets, shepherds, pastors, teachers, to equip the saints for the work of the ministry. The work of the ministry is the building up of the body of Christ so that it looks like Jesus. That's evangelism is getting more people into the body of Christ, and then discipleship is, is making those people who are now part of the body look more like Jesus. Here's how it's done. Speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head into Christ, from whom the whole body Joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. That's the hokey pokey right there. It is the body speaking truth and love to itself, with every part doing its bit, so that it builds itself up in love. So evangelism is speaking the truth and love to your neighbor. 
Discipleship is speaking the truth in love in the body. And so getting back to, I, I'm a little uncomfortable giving words after. Okay, great. Understand that if you make it a bigger issue, I don't like talking to people. <laughs> the whole point is speaking the truth in love. Now, in, in today's context, you can speak the truth in love in a text, an email, in a note, in person. Like You've got some variety of choice, especially when you're doing positive things. Do not do hard, bad things, difficult things, if you can help it, not face-to-face. Don't send a rebuke in the text. But you can encourage in a text. You can do all that. No, 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 seriously. You want, you want face-to-face. But if you're encouraging, you can slip a note. You can send a text. You can send an email, leave a voicemail. You can do all that. Um, so there, there are things that can help. But I just say, understand the essential importance. It's no small thing. If you say, I want to be a faithful Christian, but I'd rather not talk to people. You're talking about square circles. It's the hokey pokey is speaking the truth in love to itself that builds itself up in love when each part's doing its job. And again, notice, only when each and every ligament and each and every part's doing its job. So you can't say, well, I'm not as important, so I'll let everyone else do it. Nope, now we don't have every part doing its job. And Paul's only envisioning the body building itself up in love when every piece is functioning properly. So there, that, that I would then want to impress upon the person the importance. <laughs> And then encourage them, okay, think of somebody or some way you can do it. Start small. I'm going to find somebody to encourage or be thankful for this week. And I'm going to pick. And then I think we start praying along that end instead of, here's another practical tip. Change doesn't happen until change happens. Change doesn't happen in the abstract. If you, start, if you leave here thinking, I need to be more thankful and let more people know, probably nothing's going to happen. If you actually think of somebody you want to thank God for and let them know about it, and you even think of when or where, now something might actually happen. And so if you just start with one case, this week I'm going to prayerfully decide upon somebody, and then I'm going to let them know that I'm thankful for them. I I just start there. Um, I I doubt you're going to have a bad experience with that. Uh, (laughs) I get work yourself up and do it. But I doubt people don't generally get mad when you say you're thankful for them. There are other speaking the truths in love we have to do that people might respond negatively to. This is probably a safe one. Um, and I just start small and work, start working. Just, just be, be willing. But I'd want to start with just pr- the priority. This is what it's all about. Um, this is one of the many ways to speak the truth and love to each other. And speaking the truth and love to each other is why we're here on, and why he hasn't taken us up into heaven. So rather than thinking, oh, I'm a faithful Christian. I'm just not one of those Christians who likes communicating with people. Yeah, that's the non-starter. Um, does that, that work for you for a starting point, or you want to go further with it? You good? I think, I think that's good for the most part. All right. Now, receiving it, that's the other half, receiving it. Didn't forget. Um, I, heard a good, I heard a good tip from somebody. Uh, it was a pastor saying, when somebody thanks you for a sermon or someone thanks, gives you some credit or some praise for something you've done, the least and the most you can say is praise God or thank you. <laughs> I know it's awkward, and but it's even more awkward. Like, well, thank you. I did put a lot of work into that, and you know, <laughs> you know. or hmm. So it, it, you know, and and again, I find it easier when people use the form of "I thank God for you." Like, okay, that I'm not receiving glory. Awesome. Like, it's easier to be like, "Thank you." That's encouraging. Thank you for the encouragement. Um, but even if someone's like, "Thank you," which Paul does, so it's not wrong. Um, just. Thank you. That's encouraging. Let them know you've been encouraged. That's another thing. Let someone know you've been an encouragement to them. That's another way you can speak the truth and love back to them. Back at you. I'm encouraging you now because I've been encouraged. Um, 
No, this is part of the way they're reciprocal. It's, it's a body. You know in our body are the cells and the organs and the muscles. They're all in, in concert with each other, working together. That's the picture that's envisioned here. Um, we have time for literally like one thing, or we can be done, because we've got like two minutes. Carol, did you have something, Carol? Oh, share with the microphone. Yes. Speak the truth and love into a mic. All right, Paul says to, um, <clears throat> let me see, this is, uh, let's see, I think this is in Thessalonians. Okay. Uh, and we exhort you, brethren, admonish the idle. And there's the kind of, you don't do that by text. Admo- the, admonish the idle. Encourage the faint-hearted. Encourage the faint-hearted. Help the weak. Be patient, patient with, with them all. all. So... Uh, encourage the faint-hearted, you know, you can do that by saying, I thank God for your, you have a really a gift in this, you know, or... Do you know, do you know what the actual Greek for faint-hearted is? This is cool. No. The small-souled. Small-souled. It's a word picture. It doesn't mean they have a small soul. It's a picture of timidity, yeah. right? So we get yeah. faint-hearted, but really it's the small-souled. And admonish the idol. I think of uh, uh, Carrie uh, as a school teacher. We do that a lot. We admonish the idol. <laughs> <clears throat> No, they were very. No, no, no I'm no, talking no, about no, your no. students. Yeah. Okay. 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 Excellent, Carol. Thank you very much. Godspeed. God bless. Good day.